some practices in the ancient world, and uh, it's just a, such a, a really good piece that uh, Mama Donna wrote. And uh, when I saw how concise it was, and there was so much on this in one place, I uh, called her and said, "Oh, can I share this with listeners?" And she said, "Yes, absolutely." So I am happy to be sharing that with you at the end of the show. But uh, let's go ahead and uh, turn our attention now uh, to uh, Alicia Evans, and uh, we'll start our chat about animal communication. So welcome, Alicia, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. Well, you know, you come so highly recommended by Elena, and uh, uh, this is uh, definitely something I'm uh, personally interested in, uh, as is a lot of... uh, you know, my listeners, in fact, I told a few people about our our uh, interview, and I think some of my friends are actually going to probably be calling you sometime soon. Um, <laughs> but uh, why don't we, uh, why don't we start with um, what is animal communication? You know, what can you tell me different than maybe we've already heard before? Well, I've been a communicator for the past 25 years, probably longer. I just don't think I realized I was doing it uh, consistently. So communication is something that we often think of um, that comes out of our mouth, right? So our mouth is involved and our mind is listening. And it brings us to a level of, of kind of like what we tend to do on our everyday lives, you know, Many of us are disconnected from our bodies in, in many ways for different reasons. We're stressed out. We've had abuse. We've had trauma. Um, it's just not comfortable, you know, fully being grounded in our bodies. And so when I learned animal communication, it, it was really more something almost of like a mental uh, experience where even though it's telepathic communication, so from mind to mind or heart to heart, it was still something of an intellectualized concept. Like I wasn't getting the fullness of it in my body. When I started my Qigong practice and really started inhabiting my body and started connecting with the animals more deeply, I really started to realize, wow, this is like a total body experience. It's, it's, you know, like people that are Catholic or of other religions that take communion, they are, you know, making themselves one with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Well, when we communicate with animals, it's kind of like communication is we are literally making ourselves get back to that space of oneness where there really is no separation. It's not just, oh, I can talk to a dog or I can talk to a cat. It really is being in communion with the animals and with the earth. So you really start to recognize, wow, there really is no separation, is there? Wow, wow. That's pretty intense. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never heard anybody talk about it on that deep, deep level before. Um, well, mm-hmm. well how, did, how did you learn this? I mean, um, did you stumble into it? Or, I mean, did you um, actively try to become this? Or, you know, did it just become your calling and your talent? Well, ever since I was little, I always felt a very deep connection with animals. And it was you know, yes, it's love, yes, it's that, but I, it just, on some kind of subconscious level, I really felt like we understood each other. And 
I guess the first time I realized that was when my Dalmatian Peppy, I was probably a five years old and he grabbed my toy and I just stuck my hand down his throat because I knew he wasn't going to bite me. And I went to grab my toy and my dad thought, oh my God, he's grabbing my kid's arm. So that was the first time I kind of realized like, wait a minute, doesn't everybody have this connection with animals? Apparently not. And when I was six, my mom asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I said, I want to be a veterinarian and I want to help sick animals heal. Well, I got to, you know, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade when math and science came in, and I was like, apparently I'm not going to be a veterinarian because I didn't, I really didn't (laughs) understand math and science. But I always held that so deeply in my heart. I just never, you know, I, I, I thought I had given up the whole idea that I would be able to help animals. And Uh, I was a fitness trainer uh, out of college, and one of my clients introduced me to a Qigong master, and I started doing acupuncture. And it really just totally changed my life because it started making me realize that, you know, what we understand as this 3D reality and, you know, what's here is only what you can see and taste and touch and smell and hear. There was a whole other dimension you know, of of senses and energy and what physics now explains as the quantum field that I started learning about. And that it was that experience of um, through my Qigong practice that a friend of mine called me and said, oh, you have to go on this retreat to Hawaii. My friend went last year. You do Qigong. She does Qigong. You love dolphins. She loves dolphins. Uh, you, You have to go. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I didn't even know how I was going to get there, but I, I had called the woman who was the animal communicator teaching this workshop, and I said, I have to come. And she said, I'm so sorry, but it's full. I said, no, no, you don't understand. I'm supposed to be there. And we talked for about 20 minutes, and she said, yes, you are. And then a lot of different steps fell into place so that I could go. But uh, on, we started doing a lot of different exercises that taught how to get your mental mind out of the way so that you can really start opening up your faculties of deep hearing, deep seeing, deep knowing, and deep listening. And on my 28th birthday, the dolphins showed up in the bay that we were um, staying in, and I had an experience with a dolphin literally hanging right in front of me and started beaming energy into my stomach. And I started laughing, and I asked her telepathically, I said, what are you doing? And she said, what do you think I'm doing? I said, I don't know, but all I feel is golden energy coming into my stomach, and I know that you changed something. And she laughed, and she took off. And I, you know, had this really profound retreat and really profound experience, and I, it really felt like one of those, the bells and the whistles all went off. You know, the angels are trumpeting, and um, mm-hmm. you just know you know, this, oh, my God, this is it. Now, I didn't know exactly at the time. I knew that this was it. I didn't know that this would be the gateway for me actually learning to keep my word that I wanted to help animals heal. But this is wow. what started now, it. No, yeah. you didn't turn up pregnant after that, right? <laughs> that wasn't, I did not. Um, you know, I, 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 it could have been immaculate <laughs> conception. I think it was... It was pregnant on an energetic level, like literally giving birth to a whole nother aspect of myself. You know? Right, right. So now you hadn't been actively doing the, the uh, animal communication before that. I, I, I'm, I think I'm understanding, right? 
Right, okay. correct. It was kind um, of like that whole experience opened it up. I loved animals so deeply, and I felt, I felt that energy of communing, but this is what opened the communication part, and then it turned back to, oh, my God, it's, just, it's like breathing. You know, it's like as natural right. as breathing, just being in right. that space of oneness. So do you think, um, you know, uh, pet parents can actually do this communication? I mean, probably not on the level you can, but do you think they can, um, you know, do it uh, on a, a, I don't know, kind of a kindergarten level? Absolutely. And, you know, it's really interesting Um, It's (laughs) that you say kindergarten level. It's like you progress so quickly with it. Like I've been doing this for 25 years as, as this is literally how I earn my living. Um, this is, you know, my work, my career, my passion. Um, I've taught a lot of animal parents how to do this. It's actually way simpler than we think. Um, it's not, you know, we're so used to school being like, you have to go to school and you have to carry this really heavy backpack with all these books in it. And, it's really way easier. It's just another set of muscles. So it was interesting to me being a fitness trainer, you know, and literally teaching people how to retrain their musculature and seeing all these incredible changes and then just realizing, oh, we were training a certain set of muscles. And then when I transferred that to teaching animal communication, it was like, oh, that's all it is. We're just training a different set of muscles. So, yes. Any parent can do it. The level that I do it, obviously, because this is what I do for a living and this is, you know, what I get paid for, I've got to be really, really accurate. And, you know, 25 years worth of doing something and then having things, like, verified a lot of times by doctors, like, how did she understand this? Like, how did she even know your animal had this? Um, Right, right. Well, yeah. Well, you know, and I forgot to read your bio. Uh, let me share some of the uh, some of the incredible stuff from your bio, uh, and maybe you can elaborate on you know on it a little bit more later. Um, with uh, Elena, the woman with Soul Dog, uh, who I had on the show mm-hmm. uh, last week, uh, we talked about her dog bio, Brio, and um, mm-hmm. apparently three veterinarians said he would never walk again. And you did a distance energy healing. Um, uh, the dog was in New York, and you were in Colorado, mm-hmm. and uh, apparently he was healed. And then there was Blue, the mare, that had gone blind, and you restored the sight. Um, did you want to talk about those two a bit? Or? Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, it's pretty incredible because, you know, growing up, I didn't believe in any of this, you know. I was a Jewish girl from the Bronx that – if you would have told me that people, I mean, I always loved animals, so don't get me wrong. I always would hope that this was possible, but I probably would have looked at you like you were crazy. Like it doesn't really mm-hmm. exist. I get it. <laughs> Till I started doing yeah, it. Yeah, I get it. And, yeah, and so um, when Elena called me, she, you know, had, had gone to three different veterinarians. One was a neurologist, and they said, you know, your dog has um, degenerative myelopathy. Um realistically he's probably not going to ever walk normal again and he probably will lose his ability to walk so you know this was the news that she had when she had called me and she kind of had a lump in her throat like uh, I don't even know if this is possible 
but I'm open to it. And so I connected with Brio and said, well, what do you think? He said, well, what they're telling my mom, that's not the root of the problem. He said, you can, you're going to see and you can heal the root of the problem with me, and it's going to take us three sessions. And I was like, okay, well, your dog's pretty confident that I can help him heal this. So if, you know, you're willing to try this, I said, I've, I've not fully done, you know, something to this degree at a distance. But if it works, great, you can pay me. And if it doesn't work, I'm not going to charge you. So within three sessions, Brio was totally correct. He knew exactly what was wrong. And my one of my gifts is distance energy healing. So I can, you know, sit in Colorado and literally kind of pull up Brio's physical body and his energy field. And it tells me, what's out of balance and I can make certain shifts in his energetic system that will translate through his physical system. And so within the first session, he was starting to walk again. By the second session, he had started running. And by the third session, he was jumping. And it just, it was amazing. And that really was the impetus for the soul dog book because Elena had worked with other communicators before, but you know, this was an experience that, she could not, and Elena is a very pragmatic person. She's very practical. She's very science-oriented. Um, she does not suffer fools gladly, you know, being a journalist and um, mm-hmm. a director and a producer. And so there was no right. denying. I mean, she she knew exactly what was happening, but she knew there's no possible way. Like, I didn't give this woman a picture. I didn't. She doesn't know my dog. She's never touched him. So it was really kind of incredible. I think Brio came to, um, A, work with her so she would write this book, and B, have a personal miracle experience with her so she could no longer deny, you know, oh, that might happen to other people, but it, it won't happen for me because it happened with her own dog. Right. So that was yeah, really, she. Really I, I could I could tell that about I could tell that about her. You know that that scientific pragmatic part of her. Mm-hmm. You know, you even though this had all happened, you know, you could. I mean, and I understand. I'm a skeptical Virgo. You know, and I and I know that mm-hmm. there was a point in my life when I. You know the woo-woo stuff. You know you feel you know you feel like um, foolish for maybe you're right. getting sucked into some bullshit or something. You know, right. and she, yeah. uh, you know, it, but but she, uh, you know, even it, yeah. I mean, you could tell. You know, uh, she she definitely wanted to have the science to back this up because you know she didn't want people mm-hmm. to think she was crazy. You know, no. Um, but she so tell us about um, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the proof was uh, standing in front of her. So what happened with Blue the mayor? So um, Blue is so interesting. I met Blue in um, May of 2017. I did a retreat at a a place in New Mexico that offers, like, horse leadership retreats. So that's where I met her, and it was very interesting. I had – there were four horses that that I was working with, um, the two mares were great, two beautiful, big white mares. And then there was a big white male. And then there was another, uh, like quarter horse. Well, the male and the, the, the big white male and the other quarter horse were like playing around and blue and this other horse decided to lay down like right next to me. Now, I don't, I don't know these horses, right? I, I have comfortable with my own horse laying down and me being next to him, but these two boys are running around playing, kicking each other, 
and the girls are laying down. So this was my first experience with Blue. She was holding a really beautiful space with me. Well, I said to the horses before I left, I said, you guys, if you ever need anything, let me know. So um, they live in a place right outside of Santa Fe. After I left there, I went up to the mountain and I prayed and I said, if you ever need me back here for any reason, bring me back here. Well, fast forward to November and I'm in New Mexico again in a completely different place. And I land up um, having, I'm at a wolf sanctuary and I land up having lunch at a nearby restaurant. I hear this woman talking and she's talking about her cat and her cat might be dying and they brought the cat on this road trip and I just blurted out. I said, I'm supposed to help your cat. So we start talking. It turns out that this woman lives one mile above the road from Blue. (laughs) Out of all the places in the world that she could live, she lives one mile above the road from Blue. I help her cat. The cat immediately overnight already starts feeling better. He had been losing weight for a long time. He was very sick. They took him on this road trip because they thought he was going to die. But they actually took him on the road trip so we could all meet up and I could help him. And he finally regained his health even after like six years of the doctors not being able to help him. So they invited me to go to their house for um, Thanksgiving. I land up going and the night that I drive up, it's Friday night, I drive past Blue and Blue is standing there. And I could tell something was wrong. I didn't fully understand it because I hadn't spoken to her parents at all. But I knew from the headlights in her eyes, she was trying to tell me something. So I contacted her mom a day later, and she said, "Um, I don't know how to tell you this, but Blue went blind, and we have no idea what's going on. I said, wow. And she said, can you come and see her? And the chances of, like, me being there in this whole time frame were just so bizarre. So the next day, I went to see Blue, and she kept telling me, she said, I'm not blind. I'm not blind. I said, okay. So it's not your eyes. She said, no, it is not my eyes at all. She said, I have so much pressure in my head. And I had found out subsequently a few months before she had gotten a dental exam. They they power floated her teeth, which slicked off all the surfaces. She landed up having a pain point, and it happened while she was in the trailer. And she smashed the top of her head in the trailer. And then over a couple of months, that started creating this tremendous twisting and cranking behind her eyes. And I could feel, literally, I was with her, and I was like, oh, my God, she has such a headache, and I feel exactly what's going on. So I told her parents, they said, she's not blind. She said she's going to see again. And they said, yeah, but the vets don't know what's going on, and we can't figure it out. I said, well, there's one person that I know to call that's going to fix this. If, there's, if you have any hope and if she's totally right that she can see again, let me call my equine dentist. So I called him, and I said, you have to come out here. And he said, well, I'm going to send somebody else. I said, no, no, you have to come. She needs you because he's brilliant. So he came out a couple weeks later. He did all of these um, blood flow releases in her head, which turned loose all the tension from the her head banging in the trailer. And then he did her teeth properly, and in that first, session when I got to see blue the first time what was so strange is when a horse goes blind most often they will still have really really good proprioception of their feet blue had no concept of her feet it was she was banging into things 
most people think it's because you go blind, and it's like it's not because you go blind. It's because you lose proprioception, so you don't know where your feet are. But most blind horses can actually see better than some sighted horses. So the first thing that happened when he did that dental on her was that she totally got her footing back. So she was no longer banging into things, and she said, Alicia, I'm seeing 25% out of my right eye and more out of my left second session he went back she started running around the pasture she started running around her arena third session he went back she had her full sight back so she knew that she could see she knew exactly what the issue was she told me exactly what needed to happen and I thank God I knew the one person that could fix it and so that's um, so she's got her full sight back (laughs) What in, what incredible incredible uh, stories! Such um, wow! Mm. <laughs> I mean, what more can you say? Well, you know, you're you're right. um, telling us about these animals who uh, have you know talked to you so specifically. Um, are mm-hmm. all animals capable of of doing that? You know, specific talk like that. I mean, I guess I didn't. Yes. You know, I've heard that you know cats have a brain the size of a walnut. You know, I guess I I, I didn't know how intelligent they they actually might be well i'm going to see something that's probably going to be very controversial and a lot of people are probably possibly going to get very pissed off at it but this is what i know to be true over 25 years and working with over 3,000 animals the science is completely not uh complete (laughs) They have a very, very marginal understanding of what these animals understand, and they only understand it from maybe 10% of what these animals actually understand, how they actually communicate, and the fact that they do know exactly what's going on with their body. But the doctors don't, they're, they're, the doctors are taught to administer diagnoses and determine things. But it's a very interesting thing because, like, animals, just like with people, they totally negate asking, like, well, how do you feel, you know, and is anything psychologically going on? Have you physically experienced anything? So there's really, like, a one-way determination, I guess. And what I have Mm -hmm. been blown away by over the past 25 years is these animals are so incredibly intelligent not just about what's going on with them personally, you know, what's happening with their health or why they're having a behavior issue, but their emotions and also what they know about their humans. Because um, part of Soul Dog was also Brio knew that he was helping Elena on her soul path to write this book and help people understand and validate like the actual physics of this, you know, I had no idea at the time. Mm-hmm. It's not like I worked on Brio and I was like, oh, cool, we're going to write a book. It was just like, hey, this is what showed up. This is who showed up. This is who I needed to, you know, help. And because of that showing up and not thinking anything about it, not thinking where it was going to go and who is it going to serve, it's probably going to serve tens of millions of people around the world. You know, because like you mentioned before, and I mentioned before, Elena is a very methodical person. She does not just come up with things like half-baked, and she's very 
you know, rigorous in, in her uncovering of, of the actual science. But now we're moving away from the biological and chemical sciences, and now we're actually starting to move into the physics of how is this possible? Like, how do these animals know this stuff? How can you not even see an animal and know what they're thinking and feeling and experiencing? Right, that right. really now right. starts to dive us into the quantum energy field because that's where all of this information is contained. And while I learned about directly about the quantum energy field from my um, Qigong practice with my Chinese doctor, it's right. like I had this incredible experience of of union and oneness and communication and connection and, and, you know, the animal communication courses, but yet my own body validated it for me. So this is stuff that science hasn't really even been able to study yet. And that's why I think yeah, they, haven't, decided, they haven't caught up. Yeah, no, because they, they don't so, have a way to measure so, it yet. Yeah, and if they can't see it and they can't measure it, it's not real. Yeah. Um, well, that's so, why I so think let, in the book, so me, too, that's why Elena did the science. You know, like she had a vet, she yeah. connected with her veterinarian and said, let's do a double blind study. Like, just send Alicia right. six pictures, give her the names of the animals and the, and the ages. Say nothing. I never met the veterinarian to this day. I still don't know who she is. Um, Elena never knew the animals. So she had me look at six different, you know, pictures and write down, like, well, what do you get from the pictures? So I got six out of the six accurately, and there's just how else would I have been able to do that? So you diagnosed I didn't know that the, the their, their illness. Yeah. Well, so you, what okay. I did was I didn't, <laughs> so you, I didn't diagnose anything, but I described exactly what the animal was feeling, what they were experiencing, um, a couple of the cases were behavioral, so I was able to describe, okay, this is the emotional issue for the animal. And then in the health cases, I was able to describe exactly what was, um, like what area of the body the animal was experiencing the issue with and how it was making them feel. And then the veterinarian was able to corroborate that from her diagnosis, it, what I told her was totally accurate about what the animal was feeling. Wow. <clears throat> well, you know, uh, Elena didn't get into that uh, double that that mm-hmm. um, uh, that test. So I'm glad you um, mm-hmm. uh, that you elaborated on that. So um, so if the animals are, are talk have this ability are capable of talking to you, are they talking to each mm-hmm. other too? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I, 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 all I have, the time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And you know, and, the um, thing while, too. Mm-hmm. Sorry, no, they're, they're talking to their humans all the time. Like when, when somebody, you know, sometimes I'll be on Facebook, right? So I'll see these chats, and even if, if it's holistically oriented, um, they, they will say, hey, you know, can I get some help? My animal's been experiencing this. Does anybody know about this? And it's so interesting because even the veterinarians go on there, and I'm sitting, to, sitting there saying to myself, just ask the animal. Like, stop guessing. Stop projecting. Stop giving people advice, right, based on your own experience. Ask the animal because they know exactly what's going on for them, and they know exactly what they need. And it doesn't matter if it's behavior or emotional or health-wise. Animals are very, very wise, 
I mean, that's how I've literally been able to help all of these animals because I just listen. Right. That's all I do. Right. I just listen well, now, and with they the tell me what's animals. going on. Mm-hmm. With the wild animals, Alicia, is it any different? Um, or is it the, no. uh, you know, it's the process? Okay. The, it, it's not any different. Here, Here's what I'll tell you. It's not any different in the communication process, but I'll tell you, living with a domesticated animal or working with domesticated animals, because they've had more experience with humans, you know, and humans are going to be more mental, they're going to be more emotional. Um, so they are aware of different things, and they it's not that the communication itself is a little bit different. It's just that the stuff that they will talk to you about is a little bit different than a wild animal who sees they like doesn't have to deal with humans has a bit of a different mindset and behavioral set because you know they're out in the wild and they're surviving, right? Where most of our domesticated you, can you think animals. Can you give an example? Yeah. Can you think um, of an example so, to yeah? Mhm. Yeah. Um I was on uh the Osa Peninsula in Costa Rica. And so on on the island a lot of times like horses get loose and there most of the horses you know they, they I was there almost 20 years ago. So I'm sure a lot of the animals have gotten more domesticated. Um but there was a a wild horse and her baby and she had had a rope around her neck, right? And it, you know I mean, they weren't the kind of horses you could just go up and pet. So I was standing there, and I was just looking at her, and I told her, I said, I've got to get that rope off your neck. I said, because you can't be running around with it, because it can catch on something. It could choke you. It could take you down. So I need you to just stand still and hold still. Just trust me. I'm not going to hurt you. But And I showed her the pictures of, you know, taking the rope off of her head, and she just stood for me. She relaxed, and as soon as I got it off her head, she she took off. You know, so that's that's so an you, example when, of being able to help an animal. But the communication so, stuff, like, God. Well, God. well, you said that you showed her the pictures. Um, are mm-hmm. you are you sending them mental mental images? Is that um, yes. part of it? Yes. Okay. So, Here's the interesting thing. So now science hasn't figured this one out yet either, but animals, their first form of communication, and this is all animals across the board. I don't care if we're dealing with a bumblebee or a wolf or a buffalo or a tiger or, you know, a a snake. All animals' first form of communication is a picture. So that picture shows very clearly, like, what they're thinking, what they need. You know how they say, like, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? And we say that humans are the most intelligent species. It's like, well, not really, because we needed a thousand words to describe (laughs) one picture. (laughs) So um, that picture is usually a very clear, crystal clear picture of what they're wanting or what they're going to do. When humans communicate with animals, um, perfect example is when I'm teaching dog training, and my client is looking at their dog who's standing, and they say, sit. But they're showing the dog the picture of them standing, 
instead of mentally imaging, I want you to sit. This is what sit looks like. And I'm saying the words and my intentions are really clear. Usually the person gets frustrated because they're saying sit. But as humans, what we don't realize yet is we often have a backwards picture. So right. we have a picture usually well, of the you. thing that we don't want versus the thing that we want. Okay. Well, and what if you're not a visual person? Can you, can, mm-hmm. If you're not the best visual person, especially, especially if maybe you're trying to convey something that's a little bit more um, – you know, complicated than visualing sitting versus standing. Um, you know, do you just think the thought then, or you, or you yes. somehow have to yeah. connect to a picture? Um, well, thinking the thought and connecting to a picture really are pretty much the same thing. You know what I mean? At their essence. I mean, all of us can sit down and we can sit in front of a movie theater and watch a movie, right? So every single one of us has to be visual. doesn't mean we necessarily learn visually, but we have to be visual in order to function in this life unless you have a seeing eye dog, right? Right. So those muscles are just something that we've attributed the mouth muscles in humans, honestly, to be like our strongest attribute. And for some reason, like, we speak and then we think that that means we're speaking, but then we're also thinking. But honestly, I don't even think we've delved into in science yet how profound our actual mental pictures are. Because I'll watch trainers, you know, very, very good trainers, very precise. 98% of them don't even realize that they're actually why they're so effective is because I see them and I see the crystal clarity of the pictures they're giving to their animals. Most of them will say, well, it's timing, it's the treat, it's this. It's like, no, it's not. It's because you're really clear in your pictures. And, you know, I mean, I remember from when we were kids and we played that game, hey, I'm going to think of a number from 1 to 10, right? So anybody can Mm -hmm. visualize a picture, And like I said, visualizing a picture does not mean that you're a visual learner. You might be more of an auditory learner. You have to hear it to get it. But everyone is visual. Everyone can create a picture in their mind, you know, because that's our imagination. It's imaging in what we actually want to happen. And the thing that was really funny that I learned from the animals was they said, you know, you humans are so strange. They said, it's so simple. Our language is so simple. Have a clear picture of what you want, connect it to the words, and then when you ask it to us, then your intention will be very clear so we get that you're clear about what you want. They said, but most of you humans don't get that you have backwards pictures. It's like when you tell somebody... Hey, I hope you have a really safe trip. But the first thing that you're visualizing in your head is that they're getting into a crash. Right? Right. It's right, literally right. the way most humans think. And I never would have known that. The, it's, the things that I know, I have not learned and studied from a book. The things that I know about animals are because I've delved into this two and a half decade um, exploration with them of letting them educate me about what they actually know. So a lot of things that I know, it's not because I learned them from humans. The animals were like, uh, okay, this is actually how it really goes. 
So that's why I always okay. encourage pet parents, like work with a communicator, especially when, you know, if you've got a health issue that's going on, you know, and the doctors, they can only know what they can know from their tests, right? And yet the tests are showing, well, we can't figure out what's going on. I so highly encourage people to work with an animal communicator, whether it's behavioral or health, because oftentimes modern medicine can, the only thing it can really do is is look at the biology or the chemistry, right? So it gives you tests, it gives you feedback, it can tell you certain things are off, but it can't always tell you why. And these animals are so extraordinary, like, I'm so blown away because of what I've learned from them. It's so extraordinary about what they know about themselves and their situations. And, you know, maybe it's not a totally physical issue. Even though it's presenting as a physical problem, it can be an emotional mm-hmm. issue. It can be a psychological right. issue. But those are things that the blood tests won't tell you. Right, right. Well, I want to uh, get into uh, animals that have passed uh, over onto the other side. Um, it is communicating with them um, different than a live animal? Mm-mm. It's It's very, very similar. You know, it's interesting because when we get into the realm of communication, really what's different is just the fact that we're seeing from our inner eyes, we're hearing from our inner ears, you know, we're trusting our gut instead of our brain. So communion, it's it's like whether it's on this side of the veil or the other side of the veil, it's just that willingness to let go of any projections of separation or disconnect. You know, people are often asking me, like, how are you able to do this? Like, how can you communicate with an animal at a distance? How can you possibly communicate with an animal that's crossed over? And the way I see it, it's, everything really is energy. That's what I learned from my Taoist practice. And then the science of physics is confirming that. You know, they're saying, wow, everything really is energy. So when you get to that communication level, it doesn't matter if they're on this side of the veil or the other. You're simply connecting with an energy field that has an intelligence. And as humans, you know, on this side of the veil, we see it in physical form. But, it's, uh, you know, I was on the phone with Elena when Brio crossed over. And it was just, it was, I used to have a very big fear of death. And when I started this communication practice, the animals and my ex-husband's grandfather came forth to show me what this crossing over process really is, like how the energy transfers states. Because remember in science, the one principle that does hold true, energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It can only change forms. Now, when you really, really understand that at the deepest energy level, it's like, oh, my God. So whether it's energy that's in a physical body or it transforms to a gaseous state, right? When it's in the body, it's solid. Then it transforms to a gaseous state because the energy of the soul leaves the body. 
But that right. energy is still able to be connected with. And it just, so you know, when, when the animal came in and... Sh- no, go ahead. No, go, I'll, I'll hold the question, but you finish. I, I was just going to say... I was just going to say that when the animals came in to show me this and and my ex-husband's grandfather was laying in a coma, um, but we could communicate with each other and he showed me where he was. It was like tears of joy that I couldn't even hold back just started streaming down my face because I was like, oh my God, this is what the truth is. Like, this is really true. And it really, it just took away my fear of death, you know? So you have to tell me where, when you're uh, the person who was in the coma, what did what did mm-hmm. he show you? What did you what did you um, glean from that? Have you ever seen the movie with Robin Williams, What Dreams May Come? Oh, ages ago. I don't know if I remember much okay. about it, but it was a bunch of people right. in comas, right? Yeah. Well. Yes, but it was a bunch of people that had crossed over, and then he was trying to save his wife because she had killed herself, so she was kind of like in purgatory. So he had to go through all okay. of these levels. In, at one point in the movie, it almost looks like a um, like a kind of Monet painting, and then all of a sudden, it's like he's able to touch and feel the the paints and the colors, and there's such a gentleness to this place that he goes to. And I just, as I was sitting there, I just started meditating with him, and I I was asking him, is he okay? Because even though I knew he was in a coma and he couldn't speak, just because of all the energy work, like, I knew that he was still present. And so he, he, it's literally like he took my hand. It was almost like you couldn't fully see clearly, except you could feel clearly so crystal clearly for the first time and he took my hand and it was just this soft beautiful place where it's like you kind of still had the remnant of your physical body except you weren't attached to it and it was Mm -hmm. so exquisite and so peaceful and so loving and so gentle that literally tears of joy just started rolling down my eyes it wasn't like I was trying to cry or not trying to cry but it was the most gentle loving place and I just well, said it, why it did you show me this well and, and, and it also makes you think why would he want to come back <laughs> you know and maybe, yeah, maybe that's, much. Uh, that's kind of a, you know the conundrum isn't it you know yeah, so would you is. say that's, well, that's kind of well, that was, well, that guy was in a coma. But for somebody that passes over, um, do you? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, do you have any sense of if uh, when you pass over, they experience the same thing? Yes. Um, like I said, I was on the phone with um, Elena at the moment, like Brio was crossing over, and it was just. I know that uh, from an emotional perspective, I'm not making light of how hard it is for us to let go of our loved ones, you know. And sometimes I will tell you that animals are sometimes closer to some human beings than other humans are, you know, um, because we've been hurt, because we've been abused or traumatized, and we just can feel the unconditional love for these animals. And, you know, 
So sometimes we have a closer connection to animals and humans. So even when they cross over, it's devastating for us. But the process for them is extraordinarily peaceful. And I've had many wild animals so bizarrely, just literally like I'd be walking and I would see a bird that I'm like, oh, my God, it's hurt. Like, do I pick it up? Do I not pick it up? And I would pick it up in my hands and I would, you know, send it energy and Sometimes they would just cross over right in my hands, you know, and they just wanted to feel that. Other times I've had animals that, you know, I've had two hummingbirds that were knocked out of the air by cats, and I thought, okay, they're going to die, and just sat there and sent energy to them, and in, I don't know, within like 10 minutes, they just flew off again. And I was like, this whole thing about life is just so amazing and such a miracle you know, cause, and it's so precious. I mean, it literally is like well, can buy I, a can, thread. <laughs> can, I, um, can I share a little story with you? Um, I mean, and I'll yeah. make it really quick about my, uh, my uh, cat, uh, Isis, that passed over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we brought, we brought her to the vet. Uh, we knew there was something wrong, but we had no idea how sick she was. Uh, it, it had just been like in the last week or so she suddenly was, um, you know, how they tend to go off by themselves and, you know, uh, and, and I, I knew that was a sign something was not good, but I didn't think we were at the end. I mean, I thought we were going to be taking her home from the vet that night. Well, it turned out that um, she had cancer, they told us, and um, they said that she really shouldn't go home. You know, uh, it was only going to get worse from here. It would be difficult for us to handle, blah, blah, blah. And they were recommending that we just, you know, let her have the injection and, um, you know, let her pass over peacefully before she would suffer anymore. Well, it was kind of a shock for us. I mean, we were just not prepared, and we had to think about it, you know, for a little bit. And um, uh, and needless to say, it was pretty, you know, pretty intense. And so anyway, we decided to go ahead and go along with what the vet recommended because we wanted to do what was best for her and alleviate her suffering. And what was really strange was when they were, you know, we were holding her when they were uh, giving her the injection, and of course, we were emotionally, you know, a wreck. Um, you know, we were saying stuff to her like, you know, we love you, come back to us. And our phone rings um, while we're in the middle of this process, and um, I didn't pick up the phone uh, for a few hours, and, uh, you know, we finished up everything there at the vet, we went home, Uh, I I went ahead and answered the call. And it was um, one of my friends, Melody, who does have some psychic ability. And she knew Isis, and she uh, was calling me, and she knew nothing about us being at the vet. She knew nothing. And she called me, and she said, Karen, I don't know what this is about. Maybe you know. She said, I just got a message from Isis for you. And she said that Isis was telling her, I'm sorry, it's still so fresh, even though it's been a few years ago. Yeah. She said Isis was telling her that, um, you know, she knew it was hard, but we were doing the right thing, and uh, it was all okay, we shouldn't feel bad, and that, you know, when she could, she would come back to us. And Mm -hmm. I, I have to tell you, Alicia, that, that convinced me, like um, uh, Elena's 
you know, uh, having this revelation because mm-hmm. this phone call from Melody is out of the blue. She knew nothing about yep. ISIS being sick. And and yep. ISIS is telling her to send us a message. I mean, yes. we were just blown away. Yes, and I think that's a very big one to listen to also because sometimes we're not listening, and especially at the time when it's, you know, is it time? I work with a lot of my clients, uh, you know, around that time. And it's been a very interesting learning with animals and the crossing over process too because most of us humans look at things, and even the veterinarians, and they're like, well, we don't want the animal to suffer. We don't want the animal to suffer. Well, animals often do not take things personally and feel bad for themselves, right, the way that humans do. And so I've had, I've had animals that I've, you know, done some energy healing on, and I thought I'm going to walk out the door and this animal's just going to cross over. And they went ahead and they lived for another two years. So it's yeah. it's a very interesting time, and the reason why I appreciate being able to support my my clients through it is because when the emotions get in the way, we can't hear clearly. And oftentimes, when I connect with a lot of these animals, they're like, "Look, you know, I mean, my life isn't what it was before, but I'm not ready to go yet." Sometimes it's because they yeah. have a message for their humans. Sometimes it's because, you know, they're like, listen, I don't have the same perspective of death that a human does, you know. I'm going to be here till I stop breathing. And and as humans, you know, we're always looking for that. Are they suffering? Are they not? And it's always good to work with a communicator that's skilled at it because you want to know, obviously, if your animal's suffering, that's fine. But I always work with my clients at that time to say, look, look, look at what contracts that you guys had together, why they came here, what they were serving you with, you know, what their soul was serving your soul with, and let's let them have back their half of the contract so that they know that it's really okay for them when they're ready that they can go with peace and ease. I think a lot of animals tend to hang on because they want to know they they want to know that their humans are going to be okay, but a lot of the times I find that they have really profound messages for their humans. You know that they want to make sure that their humans understand that soul thing that they came together to do in this life, and it's been really fascinating yeah. because when my clients really know that it was time, you know they they we've we've cleared the contract and. The animal is free that, like, on their choice, right? They, they do not have to hang on. They do not have to try and, you know, help support the human through this. I've just had so many of my clients say, you know, I thought it was going to be the worst thing in the world. And it was so hard. But they're like, I actually am okay. Like, I'm at peace. I find it's the, it's the parents that, you know, the vets are like, well, it's really time and we should do this. Where something wasn't fully completed like, that's why I think ISIS came back to let you know through your friend that this isn't no guilt, no shame, no fear. Like, it's all good. But most pet parents, that if they're in the situation where they're, you know, the one administering the shot, so to speak, right, 
there's so much residual guilt and that's why it's so hard for people to let go because they're beating themselves up. And the other piece of it that I share, especially at that time is that, you know, when your animal knows and they said that it was okay, you don't carry around guilt. You don't carry around. I mean, you miss your animal, but that's very, very different than what a lot of people get stuck with because they feel under pressure, right? by somebody else saying, well, it's time, it's time, versus them feeling in their gut and their animal giving them that look that says, hey, it really is time, you know, there's just more of a completion process that can happen um, through this crossing over piece. And I've just found it remarkable what these animals know and the messages, you know, especially the soul messages that they want their people to have before they leave. So they feel like they also can complete their life knowing, yes, it was about love, and there was some more that I was sharing with them. So it's been fascinating right. to, to, to be part of that with so many people's journeys. Well, what a, what a gift for you. I mean, uh, such incredible mm. insight uh, you've, mm. you've gotten doing this uh, all of these years. Um, well, they, they, how did you get uh, the name in, uh, Animal Healer, H-E-E-L-E-O-R? <laughs> um, years ago, I had a chocolate lab named Barney, and it was just such a calamity. I, I wanted to just, you know, I had that picture. I want to walk this dog off leash, and we're going to be so in tune with each other. It's going to be amazing. It so did not happen that way. <laughs> it was like the antithesis. I tried every tool with him. Every single thing hurt him, which was verified, you know, by the veterinarians. He, the nose halter, he scratched it off, and he knocked out a couple vertebrae in his neck. The prong collar, he froze. So one day, after being pulled around for a year and a half, I just had had it. I was so angry because I couldn't take being dragged around anymore. It was actually scary. And Barney had gotten to, like, 95 pounds. And I pulled really hard on the choke chain, and he, he yelped. And I landed up on the sidewalk crying because I was failing my dog. I was a horrible leader to him. I did not know what else to do. At that time, you could not give dogs treats or the trainers, you know, made you feel like you were going to get struck down by lightning. So I just made him a promise. And I said, one day I'm going to help animals and humans vastly improve their communication and really respect dogs' bodies. And... I didn't know it at the time, but 10 years later, I would invent a product called Walk and Sync, which is a harness and leash training system. And so what I did on a daily basis was I was teaching people how to teach their dogs to heal, H-E-E-L. And then one day I was um, with my horse in the pasture and he kept saying to me, he's like, you're the animal healer. You're the animal healer. You're the animal. And I was like, oh, that's a funny pun right? Because I'm teaching animals to heal. But then what started happening after that was the animals started saying, can you please talk to our humans? Because if we have a behavior issue or a health issue, there are definitely times when we are mirroring stuff back to our humans. And you know how to understand and explain things to the humans to help them heal their own blocks and limitations and frustrations and you know how to help them heal and transform their own behavior. And so he kept saying animal healer. And when I went to look on the um, internet to register a website, uh, it was animal 
it's animal healer, H-E-A-L-E-R, was taken. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. I basically am an animal healer, but I just do it. You know, it started because of teaching animals to H-E-E-L on their end of the Right, age. right. So it just, it, it just <laughs> kind of stuck. And, you know, when I was a kid, it was just so funny because my family and my friends, uh, my nickname was Leash. And so how apropos that I would land up creating a harness and leash that would transform lives in minutes, you know, and honor wow. that promise to Barney that I would help vastly improve communication. I didn't know all this. And I would imagine. Teach me. <laughs> right. Well, and, and you have a number of websites. I would imagine uh, this, mm-hmm. this leash is on the animalhealer.com, a, uh, animal, H-E-E-L-E-R.com website. It's actually under walkinsync, S-Y-N-C, dot com. Okay. So Animal Healer right. and you is also my have... um, consultations. And, and the White Wolf Way, what um, what is that about, That your other website? That, that came about um, about three and a half years ago, um, I had a basset hound that got very sick when she was a year and a half old. She got a very odd strain of avian flu, which we couldn't even figure out for about six months. So the night before she was leaving the planet, I curled up in her bed with her and I said, you know, I know you have to leave. I know we haven't been able to find out what this is, but would you come back as a white wolf with blue eyes and would you teach me the energetic language and the authenticity of dogs. And the next morning she left and three and a half weeks later, I found my uh, dog Ayana who had a little bit of wolf in her. So she was the white wolf with blue eyes. She started teaching me and training me on the internal language, like the language that science hasn't studied and figured out yet. The human side of body language, the breathing, the pictures, um, the um, intentions, and so Ayana wow. worked with me over a couple of years, and she taught me the actual, like, grounded, practical inner energy alignment that um, is how animals teach other animals. And it was just fascinating hmm. to me. And the white wolf way became the, the female leadership aspect, because we always focus on, we talk about leadership, we're always doing it from a male perspective, like the whole alpha male. But what Ayana showed mm-hmm. me was, she said, you know, first of all, that was wrong because they talked about dominance and aggression and, um, you know, anger. She said that's actually not the truth of authentic alpha leadership. She said it's not only is it not true, she said the males are not actually in charge of the pack. The females are. She said it is the females hmm. who lay down all the clear boundaries that lay down the social structures and the females are the ones that laid down the actual code of conduct with the puppies. And she said, and the thing is, wow. we're not angry or aggressive. We're fierce when we need to be. She said, but we're not angry at our puppies. We're just creating a fierce boundary. Don't ever do that behavior again because that could be really dangerous. And when she right. taught me that when that is laid out clearly, then everyone in the pack can really thrive, right? Because there's a sense of respect. Hmm. So White Wolf Way became, came, literally came from Ayana's teachings of me teaching women how to embody 
female leadership directly from, you know, the, the original animals that really taught the humans how to wow. behave and how to conduct themselves. Well, that that sounds like a, another show I might like to have you come back and talk about. <laughs> that sounds like that could be a whole show in itself. Um, yeah, you know, especially it's amazing. with uh, you know the kind of the kind of work that I do. Um, well, Alicia, um, I know we've talked about a whole lot, um, and you know we're getting toward the the end here. But uh, is there anything we haven't spoken about you want to you know is, you, you want to be sure you say uh, before we uh, say goodnight? Oh, so funny how fast an hour can go, right? <laughs> um, especially when you're talking about what you love. Um, I think the biggest thing that I would really share with animal parents about communication work, you know, I grew up thinking it was really kind of weird and woo-woo and strange because that's what adults taught me. As a kid, I think I really knew that there was this communication, but I would never have known as a kid how to describe it. So I would just really offer that what I have learned from this journey, it's been an incredible spiritual path for me, actually, Um, because there was a lot of things that I had to open up to and understand to be able to receive the information that I've received from the animals. But the one thing that I would say is never negate the awareness that your animal could be a furry guru, (laughs) you know, that's here to actually teach you things about your side of the leash or your side of the reins or, you know, in the cases of cats, your side of the couch (laughs) because, you know, Mm -hmm. the cat will decide Mm -hmm. what part. But the biggest lesson that I've learned through all of this is in suspending, like, any judgment or, you know, thinking about things in a way that kind of is outside the box where we normally don't go it really behooves us to listen to our animals, whether you do it through an animal communicator or you learn animal communication yourself. If you want to know what your animal is thinking or feeling and what they need, you can actually ask them. And I encourage people, please do this. I watched so many beings suffer needlessly because science and medicine don't know everything. You know, and a lot of these things are clear upable on a natural level. And these animals have just really brought me home to a place of really understanding to have a respect and reverence for all life. And just because science says, you know, oh, a dog only has the capacity for like a two-year-old kid, not true. And remember, we spay and neuter most animals at five months old. So, of course, they get stunted, right, in their growth. So I would just really encourage pet parents to to keep more of an open mind. Like even if you don't believe in this stuff, but you're having an issue with your animal, know that you have this available to you. I have just seen so many times when I've, you know, seen animals and people have to spend like 10, 15, 20,000 animals still not well, but the doctors don't want to believe that there's something more. So I just encourage people not to be afraid of it, you know, and if it resonates with you, I'm not trying to pitch you or sell you on anything, but if it resonates with you, there's a vast world that can open up for you and for your animal. 
utilizing communication? Uh, well, uh, I'm I'm a believer. <laughs> well, let's <laughs> let's give your websites again, Alicia. Uh, AnimalHealer.com, and that's H-E-E-L-E-R. Uh, WalkInSync.com, and TheWhiteWolfWay.com. Um, you know, this has mm-hmm. uh, by far been the best interview I've ever done with an animal communicator, and I just have to tell you. Um, uh, I, it's been a wonderful, a wonderful conversation, and um, you know, just thank you so much for your commitment and uh, you know what you're teaching us all. And um, I, I, you know, words fail me, uh, but I, I just, I, I think you're incredible. And um, thank you, thank you for coming on the show tonight and uh, sharing your experiences uh, with listeners. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure they do too. Uh, it's. I'm- Words fail me. It's like, thank you for thanking me. I'm just, you know, I think I always knew that this was my destiny to help the animals heal. So just, you know, it it just is what it is. And thank you for, you know, allowing this time and this space for this conversation. Um, Thank you for letting their voices be heard. And thank you for everything that you do and all of these years that you have been bringing forth the voices of the sacred feminine, because this really is um, what animal communication is really about. It is bringing forth the voice of the sacred feminine, and it's time yeah, for I, that w- to be known on a much larger scale with the animal kingdom. Well, well, and you know, we didn't even talk about that, but uh, as I was listening to you, I, I, I felt that, you know, I, I, I felt that mm. to be absolutely true, so... Um, you know, I'm I'm glad we made that connection as well. Well, listen, yeah. thank you again, and I'm, I'm sure I will talk to you soon. And um, and until then, then. Thank you, Karen. Have a wonderful night. Okay, you too. Bye bye for now. Okay, bye. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, such an incredible uh, woman and incredible stories and uh, uh, so much so much important uh, wisdom she imparted there to all of us so um, as I turn my attention to um, the rest of the the show tonight uh, first a shout out to Laura Kane I forgot to mention uh, to give her thanks at the opening to uh, of the show she was the artist uh, that I highlighted and that snippet from her is uh, Choose Love. And uh, I'm going to come back in just a minute with that uh, Valentine's and Vulvas, oh my, and uh, the Scottish Council uh, that uh, is offering paid leave to domestic violence victims. Uh, but first, uh, a word from Joe Carson. Most people's psychic experiences are dreaming. And it's thought that it's the pineal gland making this chemical that does it. Now, this was the core finding, the core finding that the pineal gland makes a hallucinogen, we all hallucinate, we all go into a state of consciousness that for me is the collective unconscious. The psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet, what's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Because all peoples, all races, all tribes from the past right around the world have myths, and legends which use symbols and archetypes which are identical. Identical. 
Every human being experiences this state of consciousness, which is the dream mind. That symbolic, archetypal, exemplified by fairy tales, or the creation myths and legends of all the different peoples. The symbols of them are the same, and to me that is the consciousness of the earth speaking to us. to a trailer for Dancing with Gaia, Joe Carson's feature-length documentary film, in it she interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the return of goddesses Gaia. Joe traveled to ancient sacred sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot the film. These spiritual sites from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. So if you've always wanted to see these places yourself but haven't, this is a great opportunity to explore some of the best ones from the convenience of your armchair and get their story. The DVD comes packaged with a 45-page color mini-book, which goes even deeper into the material. You can buy the DVD and booklet for only $20 at DancingWithGaia.com. That's DancingWithGaia.com. So, uh, moving on to the pieces that uh, Pat the Roving uh, Goddess Reporter sent in, uh, let me share first uh, from Maya Oppenheim. She's uh, the woman's correspondent, uh, and this was published in the UK's uh, publication, The Independent. Uh, the new leave policy in Scotland will support employees of South Ayrshire Council to go to medical appointments and counseling, attend legal proceedings, look for safe housing, and visit support agencies. A Scottish council has been the first in Europe to offer up 10 days of paid leave to victims of domestic violence. Counselors there voted unanimously in favor of the policy, which was inspired by a similar measure in New Zealand. It will also support council employees as they go to medical appointments and counseling, attend legal proceedings, look for safe housing, and visit support agencies. The change comes after a motion from Scottish from the Scottish National Party, Councillor Laura Brenna-Whitefield and Labour Councillor Brian McGinley. Uh, Ms. Brenna-Whitefield hailed the change as fantastic. She said all managers would be trained to understand domestic abuse. She said, uh, I quote, I feel South Ayrshire is now leading the way and I'm really pleased we are the first council to have done this, unquote. Um, she said it's a recognition we're looking for after the most vulnerable and she hopes other councils and other organizations follow. So, um, and apparently New Zealand became the first country in the world to pass legislation allowing victims of domestic violence paid leave just last July. Um, uh, apparently they uh, over there they cheered as the domestic violence victims protection bill uh, passed by uh, 63 votes to 57 and um, probably the article you've really been waiting for Valentine's and Vulvas oh my uh, this comes from uh, Mama Donna Hennes H-E-N-E-S and uh, you want to check out uh, her work she's really got quality stuff her website is DonnaHennes.com that's Donna H-E-N-E-S dot com so 
of Valentine's and Vulvas, uh, because as I said, we are somewhat still in the uh, season of Valentine's Day. Uh, Mama Donna says, from the beginning, women were exalted as the image, the echo, the counterpart companion of the great goddess, their access to ecstasy imbued with spiritual significance. As priestesses, they tended the fires and fanned the generative flames from her sex, the seat of her power. Paleolithic carved figures refer to woman as matrix, as creatrix, to moon cycles and menstrual magic and resonate profound reverence in their rendering. Grandly voluptuous female forms, their sturdy stature, commanding confidence and authority. The Venuses of Willendorf, of Meton, of Lispug, with their big breasts and belly, huge hips and ass, stand frank and fecund, formidable and efficacious. Faceless, their limbs are abbreviated. Their focus is centered on their own nubile torso, which tapers to a point, the tip of the vortex of their sex. These ancient images sanctify female sexuality as religious expression. The cornal knowledge of universal power links sex and prayer etymologically. Venerate in a venereal both Venerate and venereal both stem from the Latin name of the licentious goddess of love, Venus. Lust in the old Germanic language meant religious joy. The same spark which ignites to conceive children also kindles culture. It is the mother of invention. Around 9,000 years ago, Mediterranean cultures venerated a supreme goddess of seduction and fruition. The intensity of her desire, potent enough to produce generations, agriculture, poetry. She guided all growth and especially loved lovers and art. Beauty and heart, Ishtar, Isis, Cabelli, Inanna, Aphrodite, she was not shy. And this is the text on the Sumerian tablet, uh, 2000 BC, it goes like this. My vulva, the horn, the boat of heaven, is full of eagerness like the moon. My untilled land lies fallow. As for me, Inanna, who will plow my vulva? Who will plow my high field? Who will plow my wet ground? As for me, the young woman, who will plow my vulva? Who will station the ox there? Who will plow my vulva? And the article goes on. Sex invoked in myth and ritual is symbolic of the primary life force. Sex is energy. Sex is creation. Sex is abundance. Sex is unification. Sex is divine spirit. Sex is celebration. Sex is sympathetic magic. During the Iroquois naked dance, a woman and a man coupled in the fields to fertilize the crops. Until the end of the last century, European peasants did the same. The Christians called the fertility song prayers of pagan Norsemen, quote, female gyrations, unquote. Sexual licentiousness was central in the harvest celebrations of the African Bantu and Bodego. Hunters also had intercourse with nature. The married woman of the Cheyenne and Mandan of the Great Plains performed a rite called intercourse with the buffalo. They shared sexual relations with the elder men of the tribe who impersonated the bison, thereby channeling the great spirit. Celtic kings would copulate with a mare, which was then killed, butchered, and cooked in a soup. This the king consumed in order to partake of the power of Epona, the equine goddess. 
Hindus maintain that sex with any woman is the same as sex with the goddess Shakti herself, whose vibratory energy charges all life. In Tantra, as well as Taoism, the male taps into the infinite energy of the female, fuses with her like a space capsule refueling in orbit. Then he recycles, as it were, his sperm directing its flow to the top of his head to elevate his spirit. Sufis and other Middle Eastern mystics consort with a fravashi, a mystical lady love to reach enlightenment. Tantric-like techniques were taught in Greek temples of Venus by her harlot priestesses, the Veneri. Ovid, an initiate, wanted to die while making love. He said, quote, let me go in the act of coming to Venus. In more senses than one, let my last dying be done, unquote. The Romans celebrated the sacred Februs, or sexual frenzy, of the goddess Juno in mid-February, the time when the birds of Italy mate. On Lupercalia, men and women drew love lots to determine their partner for this festival of erotic games. This is how Sulpicia, a Roman poet in the first century BC, described her experience of Februs. And this is her words. At last love has come. I would be more ashamed to hide it in cloth than leave it naked. I prayed to the muse in one. Venus dropped him in my arms, doing for me what she had promised. Let my joy be told. Let those who have none tell it in a story. Personally, I would never send off words in sealed tablets for none to read. I delight in sinning and hate to compose a mask for gossip. We met. We are both worthy. Lupercalia was the original Valentine's Day. Unable to stop this popular orgiastic festival, early church fathers created a sainted martyr, patron of lovers, whose feast day would be February 14th, thus sanctioning a celebration they could not suppress. All the symbols of Lupercalia are still intact, if sanitized and insipid. Cupid, child of Aphrodite and Hermes, was a Herm Aphrodite, the embodiment of sexual union. He, she, is now depicted as a cutesy, chubby angel baby with a bow and arrow. Cupid's arrows are symbolic of phallic projectiles of passion penetrating a red heart. And the heart, which has no semblance to an anatomical heart, is a simplistic representation of an aroused and engorged vulva, a holy yoni. So thank you, Donna Hennis, for uh, this wonderful writing uh, of Valentine's and Vulvas. Uh, we all appreciate it. Well, that about does it uh, for me tonight, uh, listeners. Um, thank you for tuning in to this special Sunday edition of Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, I will be back with you on Wednesday. Uh, my guest is David Chandler, and we are talking about uh, the 9-11 incident from the standpoint of... Um, um, domination and exploitation. Uh, you won't want to miss it. I doubt that you have uh, thought or talked about 9-11 in the way we will be talking about it. Uh, thank you. Stay warm wherever you are. Uh, I hope uh, you're having a good uh, downtime and it's allowing you to marinate in the juices that um, will in spring sprout forth uh, and help you reinvent uh, your new self for the coming year. Uh, that about does it. Uh, may Isis embrace you in her golden wings. And good night. <laughs>